0: Welcome to The Daily Sales Show, hosted by Sell Better. So I just want to introduce today's guests. We have Ryan O'Hara, the founder and CEO of Pitchfire, and Adam Shaw, the head of DemandGen at WeSpire. They have two very different but incredibly valuable perspectives on what marketers care about, how to break through with the noise, and what they like to see more of in terms of outreach. So before we dive in, I want to know who's in the room today. Are you SDRs? Are you AEs? Are you frontline managers? You can let us know in the poll. It'll help us tailor this conversation. So as everyone's um, putting in their answers, Adam, I have a quick question for you to kick us off. What is something you wish more sales reps would know about marketers?
1: Uh, I think um, they, they like they they should know that you know we want to be impressed or not impressed by your sales like outreach content. It has to be so cool that I want to use it myself or so genuine that I feel like I'm actually being reached out to by a person. Anything in between, you can't do it.
0: Yeah. Okay. No, I think that's great feedback. Um, And I know we're going to touch on that a lot more later too, in terms of automation and not putting the thought into things. But um, I think that's a good frame. It's like, would somebody want to use this for their own
1: outreach? Yeah. We want to be impressed.
0: Yeah. Um, It looks like we have about almost 40% BDRs in the room, 33% AEs and some managers and senior leadership as well. So a lot of people on the front lines doing this outreach. And it looks like some people may be helping to guide their teams to do their outreach as well. So I think this is going to be a super valuable conversation. So before we get going, the show would not be possible without our sponsors. Special shout out to Vidyard and Zoom Info for sponsoring today's show. The drop of the day is from Zoom Info. You can get a free custom prospecting list by following the link in the chat. So definitely check that out. That could help you get started on your marketing prospecting journey. And also, if you're looking to level up your sales game, there's two main ways we can help. One of them is the Daily Sales Show, which is where you're at right now. And the other one is our YouTube channel, where we have tons of tactical breakdowns and tactics and all sorts of sales outreach methods that you can find on demand. So today's call will be divided into a few key sections. First, we're going to learn about our guests and what brought them into the marketing field to begin with. We're going to touch on their day-to-day responsibilities and how they approach prospecting different levels of marketers. Then we're going to dive into the do's and don'ts of effective marketing persona outreach, pulling from some real-life examples of how these marketers have been prospected themselves. So kind of a look behind the curtain of, wow, other people are reaching out, what the competition looks like, how to break through the noise. And then at the end, we're going to dissect a few pieces of outreach that have successfully reached our guests and why they worked. So as we go, remember to throw your questions in the Q&A box. We're going to be leaving some time at the end to run through those. So just to get us started, Ryan, can you tell us how you got into marketing in the first place?
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. I think this is one of the things that I want people to listen to here. Everyone assumes that when you're in sales, your job's numbers oriented. You got to go do some stuff where you're reaching out to people with calls and emails and stuff. At the core, most people that fall into marketing are usually artists. Like, I know it sounds lame and cheesy, and you're probably like, where's your beret and baguette? Look, I don't have that right now. I'm sorry. But uh, I originally got into marketing because I wanted to do cool, creative shit, and I was too afraid to go do it in real life. So I hide and do it in the business world, and that's how I'm able to make videos and get thousands of people to see it. That's how I'm able to write email copy and be a writer and get thousands of people to see it. I'm hiding behind business to do art. And that's kind of how I think about it when I'm doing marketing. Um, that's, that's kind of how I got mixed up. I originally was a BDR I, when I got out of school. Did that for five or six years. Uh, ran a team there, did some training. And then I kind of transitioned into doing more marketing stuff because I approached my prospecting job like a marketing job. I do campaigns for people uh, for my target accounts. So I do crazy stuff for one person at a time. Trying to break in, and uh, that's kind of how I stumbled into doing marketing. And then they're like, "Hey, do you want to do that for all our customers?" And I was able to transition to doing stuff like that. So, but that's a good way of thinking about it. And that's how I got into marketing is like start as a BDR and kind of did campaigns for myself um, with my target accounts and my book of business.
0: Yeah, awesome. Thank you for sharing, Adam. What did your path look like?
1: Yeah, it's exactly opposite. Potentially the least creative person in this in this room of hundred uh, and some people um but yeah I, I started out as a media buyer which is just straight up numbers i did it in the political world which is very much hey we need to hit the x amount of people y amount of times do that go and there wasn't even any sort of like revenue they had to match it with it was just achieve these numbers uh you know very top line numbers and you know as, as i got into marketing further and further and said hey you, know, you have to connect this to revenue if you actually want to be getting out of politics and other areas is and um, yeah, so very number-oriented background and trying to learn the creative stuff, right? Like that's one thing is that you can pretty much teach anybody numbers. It's really hard to teach creative. Like you have to have some sort of insight in there. So it just turns into, a, you know, another numbers game. Like, are you achieving these basic best practices in design and stuff? So very different backgrounds <laughs> to Ryan for sure.
2: Yeah. Qu- quick plug to help you on that, Adam, and people listening. If you're having trouble being creative, I would highly recommend you read Alan Gannett's book, The Creative Curve. It basically talks about like what makes creative people do creative thinking. And like at its core, the biggest thing is to go follow other people that are creative and you'll start getting your own ideas.
0: Yeah. Well, I appreciate you both sharing that. And I think that a really important point there is that no marketing persona is created the same, right? So you can't just reach out to a marketing person and assume they're going to be super creative or they're going to be super analytical. But we've discussed this and it seems like it would be really helpful to go through and look at somebody's career history so what actually brought them into this role? Were they in creative roles before? Were they a BDR? Or were they always in paid ad spending, for example? Because that's really going to dictate probably what they respond to and what they care about. Um, so kind of on that note, Adam, how would you approach prospecting different levels of a marketing persona, like based on your seniority and what they might care about?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah, the seniority is a great way to, to top line indicator of what they're doing on a day-to-day basis, whether they're you know, turning the knob on things and they're looking about ways to save time and get different tasks done faster. Or you're somebody who's in a senior strategic role, like a CMO, who probably isn't doing, uh, depending upon the size of the company, probably isn't doing a lot of, you know, number crunching and, and turning the knob. They want to find ways to improve, uh, you know, spend to, to pipeline or spend to revenue. So they're looking for efficiencies in that way. So if you're going to somebody who's a lot more senior in a large company who isn't turning the knob, you know, you're going to want to right away introduce like, hey, we're gonna save you money or increase pipeline. If you're selling a tool that's maybe a cheaper tool that somebody without any management or seniority can purchase for, you know, 10, 15, 40 dollars a month, focus on how it's gonna make their life better and get them a raise or get them, you know, that next step. And to me, that's probably the best way. And like you, you see that the spectrum, right? It will go, you know, from there. And you know, if you get somebody in the middle, like a mid-management person and is going to say, you know, hey, I can save you time, which will then allow you to make more revenue. Right in the middle. Um, I think that's that's probably a spectrum to look at. Of course, you should dig deep, deep, right? Make sure that that CMO is not a CMO that you're giving these strategic revenue, you know, words to or information. Make sure that that person isn't in a five person company because guess what, that person is running the Facebook or LinkedIn campaign, so they are going to need that that time saver uh, tool as well.
0: Yeah, no, that that that's really good context. And for people listening who maybe don't have a super solid idea of what someone in demand gen does, could you give just a really quick overview of your day to day and your main, I guess, points of um, priority?
1: Yeah. So, demand generation generally, we used to be called revenue marketing, I think, but we call it demand generation now so you can charge more money for it, um, is basically doing marketing that can be aligned basically one to one with the pipeline of revenue, right? So, I don't oversee creative stuff as much, at least at the strategic angle, because it's very hard to say, hey, we changed the brand, therefore, we made more money. Uh, but we generally oversee inbound and some of us oversee outbound. Um, I'm lucky enough to do that. We can you know, usually catch most of our work right to revenue pipeline.
0: Nice. All right. Ryan, I, I know something we talked about a little bit before was the size of the company really impacting what the marketer does as well as their seniority level. Yep. So could you give us an idea of like, different size companies and what they might care about in terms of guiding your outreach?
2: Yeah. So a lot of you here are probably listening uh, you prospect different types of companies. Some of you have personas, we're going after SMBs, you might be going after mid-market, enterprise, and then publicly traded companies. A good way of thinking about it is the what that marketing leader cares about changes based on what size company they're at. And I can go through this experience. I've been through all these different types of companies before. Um, when you're first starting out, marketing a lot is like kind of trying to start a fire. Like you build a bunch of logs, you put in a fire pit. I, I know there's fire, by I me. Mean, it's a huge coincidence with this example, but you try to light that fire and get it going, and you suck at it, right? You feel like crap. You're like, why didn't I do Boy Scouts? Damn it. Um, but when you're first starting out, you're really just trying to figure out, how do I get people to find out about my company? How do I get them to sign up or take meetings with the sales team or just become aware of your existence and stuff? And that's kind of what an early company is thinking about and focusing on. When you get to that second stage which is kind of like where you start having some traction, maybe they've raised an A round or a B round, they're starting to do that, they're becoming a mid-market company. The thing that they start to care about is really wrapped around, how do I take the money that I raised and get the most ROI out of what I'm putting my money into? Um, Maybe they raise 30 or $40 million. They could put some money in one thing and some money in another thing. If they put money into something and it fails, they're gonna feel like crap. And that's like a big part of what the approach is, especially with demand gen too, which um, I'm sure Adam can talk about a little bit more. You want to try and get a lot of ROI out of the bucks that you have as, as your company gets bigger. Then, when you get to that mid-level enterprise side, guess what's happening? Most of these marketing leaders spend probably about twenty or thirty percent of their time working with other departments and to trying to fulfill and do stuff for the other departments. And part, it sounds bad, but part of their job when your company gets bigger is to prove that your department is actually contributing and helping. So things like analytics, tracking, attribution, um, trying to find a way to like say, hey, I matter and my team matters. Um, It's kind of like going back to that fire metaphor. You get a big fire pit going. Maybe you go off to get a drink and you come back and the fire is huge and people are like, whoa, what happened? How'd this fire get huge? And you don't know because a bunch of other people on your team are throwing logs in the fire. You got to figure out how to prove where those logs came from. And so that's kind of zoomed out of like the different size company changes what you care about. The larger the company, the more you're trying to prove to other departments that your department's actually contributing and helping. The smaller the company, the more you're just trying to get as many eyeballs as possible on
0: Yeah, I I think that's, again, great perspective, and it comes back to the common theme that we're going to touch on a lot, which is that intentional, personalized outreach that's specifically targeted to who you're reaching out to is always going to be more effective than a mass blast automated situation, right? Because if you're sending the same message to 50 marketers and they're all different sized companies, all different seniority levels, it's not going to resonate with many of them. Um, So I definitely want to go into that a little bit more, but I have an early question from the chat. Um, Would love to hear from each of you just kind of what comes up first. What do you think are the top five challenges of B2B CMOs right now?
1: You want me to go first, Adam, or you want to go? No, shoot. I'll take some of your ideas.
2: Yeah, so uh, a couple things. Right now, there's definitely some situations going on with the economy where everybody is trying to extend their runway. If you're a seed company or a Series A company, Fundraising is down 33% this year so far, meaning that last year that VCs were throwing checks and writing checks to all these businesses, 33% more than they are right now, right? The total amount of money. That means that these companies that have a bank account with a set number of uh, money in it, what they usually do is they burn that cash in 18 months and then they go talk to investors about 12 months in and raise another round and get more money coming in. All these businesses are starting to plan to not have that which means a marketing job is becoming harder to do. We're not able to go throw $50,000 at a conference and hope that it works out or throw $150,000 at a billboard campaign and be like, oh cool, I'm gonna get a lot of awareness. So one of the big things you're trying to do right now as a marketer is figure out how to do things as cheaply as possible. Uh, Cost savings, extending runway. Um, There are two major numbers that marketers and uh, marketing leaders care about, customer acquisition cost and lifetime value. Customer acquisition cost is a metric that you use to figure out what's the average cost that someone pays to get someone to become a customer. Uh, I'll give you an example. Just looking at meetings, right? Average SaaS company will pay $3,500 to get a meeting if you're a B2B company, which is crazy, but it doesn't matter because the lifetime value of that business, uh, you'll get eighteen dollars or $19,000 out of that person's contract. If you're a larger company, you might get a couple million dollars out of that contract for two or three years as they stick with you. So those are kind of the two levers that a CMO is thinking about right now. How do i get my customer acquisition cost down how do i get my lifetime value of my customer up um i'll let you break it down after that adam that's it
1: yeah I, I, those are really good points one that i would put in is actually something that you said a little bit earlier which is the communication to other teams especially in the larger companies um, when there's less money coming in you inherently have to prove your worth but instead of doing that in a way of saying like hey you know i drove this much money you want to do it in a way where other teams feel that you are inherently supportive of them. And they think, hey, if marketing goes away, how are we going to exist? Not just from a revenue or pipeline standpoint, but there's a lot of support that might go away from that. Maybe they're the communication center of the company. you know, There's a lot of creatives in that team. So maybe there are a way that people can bounce ideas off of. And there's just a lot of concern around developing processes around communication, just being better at communicating with other with other teams. Um, that That's something that you know we're definitely working uh, that I'm, I'm working on at WeSpire. that i have a lot of friends in the space are working on to say hey how can we become the pillar of something within a company now uh, it doesn't have to be necessarily performance based um it can be communication it can be process management um it can be you know maybe the the cultural center of the of the, of the uh, company including you know diversity inclusion things like that that's something that we see a lot more of in marketing nowadays uh, you know creatives tend to be um, a little bit more into those kind of things, and and we can be the center of of you know DEI and in those different you know areas to become a pillar. So the idea is becoming a pillar of something in the company to prove your worth beyond just some metrics. Because if you just become like a number, um, somebody else like sales might come in and say, or or sales or somebody else in the company or a VC or one of your your board members might come and say, hey, we can get those same numbers with an agency. Mm. Oh, okay, well, crap. What you can't get with the agency though is the communication pillar. It can't be the DI pillar. You can't do, do these other things. So if you want to become you know a big part of the company, you know, find something that's more than just numbers and really build on it, that, that I know is something that a lot of CMOs are interested in being the center around.
2: I, I want to ping pong off that for a second and jump in before we move forward with the question because I think it's a great point that he made. Um, another thing that I think people need to think about uh, with marketing is in a time like this where we're, I, I, did, I dealt with the recession in 2008, I was doing marketing and prospecting and stuff in 2008, and you're also losing customers every day as a marketer a lot of the time because you have people that might've bought two or three different providers to do stuff, and then their VCs are saying, yo, can you cut down runway? Can you get rid of these tools? And when you're prospecting trying to get them to do that stuff, you have to have empathy and get in that position to think like that, right? Mm-hmm. One of the th- ways that you can get people to stick around Customers don't buy stuff off of uh, logic all the time. In fact, a lot of them do it off of emotion. Um, marketers today are also trying to build brand affinity, meaning that they, have, they share values with their customer. Those values align with that person. And then the content and the way that they're going to market and getting people to see stuff and staying top of man- mind and saying, hey, how do I keep hearing about you? If those values align together, you're not going to have people leave. So part of what you want to do when you're thinking about like, I'm selling this to marketers is like, how do I get it so that you're not just getting new customers, but you're keeping the customers that you already have and making them feel like they, you know, it's, it's a lifestyle. There are brands that we all love and use every day uh, today that are part of our identity. Uh, marketers are trying to do that with the tactics that they do, even if it's paid, even if they're buying demand base or one of those platforms or a data provider, whatever it is, go down the list. Um, there's values that align and that will make someone stick around longer.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I think that's a really good point of trying to get to the bottom of what the person you're reaching out to actually cares about. So this is really great insight on that because it's so easy to be like, oh, I have this tool. I'm gonna make their life better. Like I can let me just like throw it at them instead of actually thinking about how it relates to a real problem that they have, which I know we're gonna get into in a minute. Um, so I do have a quick question for everyone in the room today. What channel have you found to be the most effective for reaching out to marketers? Um, And as we're getting into that, I want to transition over to our next section, where I want to talk about some do's and don'ts in terms of outreach to marketing personas. So I'd love to hear from your personal experience. I guess starting off with what do you want to see less of? Like, what are you getting in your inbox that you just wish sales reps would stop doing or that's just really not effective?
2: Uh, Go ahead. Yeah, Adam, you go first, because I went first last time.
1: Okay. I get like inundated with, with the, actually something I think somebody put on here, but it was a question in the chat somewhere about bullet points. I can't stand where they just like inundated data, right? They say, Hey, check out all this data, you know, X percent more of that, 2X this thousand percent, you know, whatever, like it's too much. It's like, it, it doesn't really align with anything to me. Like, Oh, okay. Like you did that. Cool. That's not changing my life. And that's, you know, I think kind of part of what you're trying to achieve and you're trying to make that person's life easier or better in some way and just a bunch of numbers and gonna tell that to me. I don't have time to go through them anyway and verify if they're real. So
0: <laughs> what would be a better way for them to display that value instead of saying I can get you five times ROI? Like how would you approach making it actually relevant to your situation?
1: Tell me how that changes my life, right? So uh, I got a well this is a later question, but I got a pretty good sales like message today where it's like we do this. I'm not going to say exactly what it is because I'll save it for you. But we do this thing that makes what you do a lot easier. And if I go and say, "Okay, how?" Then they go, "Data, boom, 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 boom." Okay, cool. Now show me the actual like levers that get pulled. Right. So it's kind of like the way that I I like to even do like reporting and everything is say it to the CFO first, which says, "You know, I'm going to save you money or do this thing to make your life better. It's going to cost you this much potentially." Um, but yeah, just kind of aligning it with more of like what's going to do to make my life better, make me better at my job, and a bunch of data would be the supporting, you know, stuff. It's going to make your job better because your team is going to be able to bring in more demos on your, on your from your SEO efforts. Hey, I really want to know more. All right, cool. Now that's time for data points.
2: I, I um, I'll I'll say this: the trend that I'd like to see stop when I get outreach is fake personalization. Um, and if people don't know what I mean by that, fake personalization would be like. Given your role as a CMO, or given your role as a CEO, or um, um, was, been noticing a lot of posts online with Pitchfire in it, like, can I be real with you guys for a second? How do we connect with people in real life? But you know who's the most thoughtful group of people in the world? Marketers. We're literally thoughtful. It doesn't matter if you're the spreadsheet side or the creative side. We're poets, like pouring our heart out to try and get people to see our things. Um, or spending money to try and get people to see our things. You might be one of those categories, right? We're all super thoughtful. We wait and we think through things and say, if I say these words this way, what are people going to interpret it for? Do you know what's a slap in the face to me? Getting a cold email where the person sent an email with no thought. And then mm-hmm. that's what's happening when you do fake personalization. If you want to connect with somebody, there's kind of three sta- there's three stages of conversation. Stage one is small talk. Things that like, oh, how about the weather in today? It sure is hot. Heard you got a lot of rain this week. How about them Red Sox, right? That's small talk stuff. Stage two is common interest. That's where you want to get to when you're doing prospecting with marketers. Common interest means that you share interest with that person. You find something that you have in common. If I'm hitting up uh, Danny Hudo at Query um, and I look at his LinkedIn profile, I can see that Danny spent three years touring with Peck the Disco as a roadie for them and putting together gear and stuff. Shout out to Clary. What's up, guys? Um, the point is, I'm going to write something about Pack of the Disco in my email to Danny. I'm not going to be like, hey, Danny, given your role as an event manager for Clary, uh, I wanted to talk to you about potentially beefing up your field marketing programs. No. If I go say, hey, dude, I saw you toured with Panic. I think Brandon is an amazing vocalist. Their second album, Pretty Odds Underrated, wanted to wanted to see if we could help you be the Brandon Urie of event marketing. I'm in. You got me buckled up. Game respects game, and that's what marketers are looking for here.
0: I think you just made a really important point there because there has to be a connection of that personalization to relevance. Like, I can't just be say a C word with us. Do you want to buy my product? It's like actually tie it into the conversation somehow, and that can be a lot more effective. Um, Also, just for everyone who answered the poll it looks like the majority of people are getting through via email um to their marketing persona outreach but also linkedin and phone are in a pretty dead heat behind them so um that gives anybody context but adam uh something we mentioned a little bit before was how you run webinars sometimes and you get very specific kind of email afterwards and some of them pique your interest and some of them don't could you talk about that distinction
1: yeah, I get a lot of them after. I said, hey, saw so you ran a webinar. Where we can make more people come to your webinars. So I'd say like out of the, if I were to get 100 emails after a webinar, I don't. But if I were to, it'd be like 99% of them or 99 of them wouldn't be that. That I want to get, we're going to get you more people. Like, But that, again, that doesn't like bring back to what I'm actually doing the webinar for. Like, and They don't know that. Like, So I get it. They're, they just think like webinar, it's all about volume. We're trying to get in front of a bunch of people. Like there's 134 people in this webinar right now. That's a really good amount of people. If you have an average conversion rate from this webinar, you're going to get, you know, potentially three or four paying people to do from something else, like your product, whatever you're doing. So at the end of the day, you just keep running those over and over. It's going to be great. But who cares if you have a thousand people because it'd be pretty hard to get people who actually care about that thing. So, you know, it's just going to be junk traffic. But again, they don't know this. So they have the angle more It's like improving the outcome, right? Which is to say, why would somebody run a webinar because they want to get or make more money. And in my my space, it's, it's demos, right? So somebody comes to me and says, hey, Adam, really great webinar. I noticed a couple of things that you guys could do to improve your conversion within 24 hours after the webinar. That would pique my interest, right? Not only, they're not just making up like, oh, you can get more. It's like, okay, no, very specifically, you're gonna do things within the webinar to get more people to come to my website the next 24 hours and book. That to me is very specific. It's an outcome that I can quantify and make sense, but if somebody says, I can get you a thousand more people on your webinar a month, it's like, all right, like I guess I probably could do that too, right? But it's probably not going to be very good attendees (laughs) if you're you're just going to go from a hundred and something to a thousand. There's just no way it's going to be good. So again, it comes back to like, what is the outcome you're trying to achieve and connect to that because I care about it and I can actually visualize it. It's probably part of the reason why I'm doing the webinar
2: in the first place. I got to feed off that really quick, if you don't mind. I'll tell you something that you need to think about with marketers. Do you know what? You know what? Like I, I'm going to joke about myself for a second, make fun of myself, but we're, we're fucking schemers. Marketing people are schemers. I scheme. I I'm not doing sketchy shit. I know you're all probably laughing. Like, man, this dude's sketchy. I got a stretch Armstrong behind me. That's like right here for some reason. I don't know why I have that. Listen, I love scheming and like, I'm, I guarantee I've actually, it's funny. Adam and I did a prep call for this. And I realized that Adam and I did a scheming call together many years ago when he was at the agency that I was working with. We scheme. We want to come up with stuff. If you're a salesperson and you can go to someone and say, hey, I have a couple ideas, I'm going to bu- I'm gonna jump in and be like, okay, I want to hear these ideas. Let's scheme. I want to do that. Nothing pr- makes me happier than having a whiteboard with a bunch of crazy gibberish on it, trying to figure out some ideas to do to grow my business. Um, and that's how we're, that's what it was like. It doesn't matter what stage or size company you're at. We like scheming. So that's how you got to think about
0: it. I love yeah. that. I, I think a big point there is also like you're connecting the dots for them. So, like you mentioned, Adam, is not just like, okay, I can get you more leads. Like, yes, you could follow that train of thought and think, maybe if I got this many more leads, maybe I could convert this many more. But if they just jump straight to your end goal and it's like, hey, I know what you are doing this for and I can help you with yeah. that, that's the key point. Yeah. So it might take like an extra. Yeah, Okay.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, one thing I just want to say is like to, to to kind of close the loop on that and like why the thought process is that, I don't care about webinars. I also don't care about page search. I also don't care about LinkedIn. I don't care about phone calls. I don't care about outbound. They're just like tactics. I can have a switch to turn on and off. I care about how many demos we're getting, right? So it's like I'm gonna make your webinar amazing. I'm like, I really don't care. I want more demos. So like that that is, you know, I want more demos in my ICP that can turn into pipeline. Like that, that's what I care about. So if somebody told me said, even another thing would be like, hey, stop doing webinars because if your paid search is is doing really well. We know how to make it work even better. It's like, mm, that's actually something I consider, right? I spend yeah. five hours organizing the webinar. If somebody says, we can make it so that those five hours can improve your paid search by fi- like 50%, I'd be like, yeah, I'm not going to do webinars anymore. Sounds easier to me.
2: <laughs> how many people How many people in chat are selling to bigger companies? I'm curious. If you just say, I am, I am, I am. If you are, if you're not, you're like, no, I'm not. Cool. So we got some I ams here, right? I am. Um, Another thing to think about it. Oh, look at this enterprise for life. I love it. <laughs> yes. All right. People in the crowd. Here's the thing. If you're selling to big companies, nothing is more contagious than an idea. So if you can come to someone with an idea, if I go to you and say, Hey, I have this platform. It's good to do attribution. It's going to track charts and tell you stuff about like how someone came in. You can make easy presentations, feature dump, bullet, 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 bullet. I'm going to want to put a bullet in my face. That's terrible. But if I if I sorry I might be a jerk here, but what I would do is if you said hey I have a bunch of cool ideas to get you demos from webinars, we could do a call. I could share some of those ideas. That person's going to take that idea and they're going to go tell the other people in their marketing team that idea, even if it's good or bad. That's what we used to do. Like I'd go do a sales call with someone, they'd give me an idea, and if I w- thought it wasn't a good idea or not, or I'd I wouldn't just hold on to it. I'd go to the CEO after and be like, yo, we had this conversation about maybe doing some field marketing this year. I know we didn't think about it that much, but like maybe it'd be a good idea to do a couple of dinners with some of our t- key stakeholders, right? That's some stuff that you're going and pumping into the person's mind. It doesn't matter if you're demand gen, if you're analytical or you're creative, all of those things, you're giving someone a canvas to pay with. And and that's what you want to do is like, go go to the person and try and give inspire ideas with them. And they're more likely to not only just help you, but multi-thread a deal and get more more stakeholders involved. I might say, well, I'm the CMO, but I really should have Sabrina, who is my field marketing person on this call. She's the one that's going to have to do all the work for this. Let me talk to her. And then I go and say, hey, Sabrina, I did this call with this company that does field marketing. it. I'm just using that as an example of something that I did before. Um, so that's how I think about it. If you're doing this, you got to remember that like, the key thing you want to do is don't, you don't want to just get the demo and get the meeting and do discovery questions and roll and kick off a buying process. You want to get that person to pull other people in because then you have more than one stakeholder that you can work to try and close that deal.
0: Yeah, I love that. Um, unfortunately, we're going to have to move on to our last section, so we can also get to these Q&As. Um, I have one quick one for this section. So you just did a great explanation of bigger enterprise companies, but what if you are selling to a growth or startup company? Um, Adam, can you speak to this one maybe?
1: Yeah, 100%. So the, one of the things that I think works the best, at least for me, uh, when people come to me to sell, and also uh, you know, if I'm ever, when I'm selling to the growth, startup companies on, in anything, not just marketing, is give us the, the playbook, for lack of a better phrase, of how to do what your product does. Right? The whole, unless you are a one in a billion product, there's a million ways to do what you're trying to accomplish. And it, it, chances are you can do it manually. Right, Zoom info. Let's use Zoom info right there. Sponsor this video. I can go and get all that information. It's going to take me a long time to do it. I don't want to do it. So their thing, if they were to come to me, which we we use Zoom info, so I don't have to about, but um, so Zoom info people if you're in here, don't call me or are using Zoom info. So <laughs> um, if um, you know if they came to me and say, Hey Adam, here are the steps that that, are, that we take to get all these contacts. Um, go like give them a try, let us know if it works. Um, you know, good luck. And I come back a month later and said, Hey, I did this, I got hundred contacts, I of them, it worked really well, but I can't scale this without your product. That's it. Boom. Like so especially at our size, like I can't take a hundred K a year bet on a piece on a product that I don't test out manually. Um, yeah. You know, so for startups, I think that would probably unless you're massively well funded and just can't get the money out. Like most startups are gonna want to try to like do do it manually themselves and then get a product to make it work better or scale it.
0: Awesome. That that is a great it's a great explanation and it's very actionable. So I think that's gonna be quite useful. Um, I want to jump over to our next section, which is some examples of outreach that has worked on you. Um, But before we get into that, I have one more question from the chat that I want to go over quickly. And that's, this this level of personalization is great, but if you're prospecting somebody who doesn't have a lot of information online and you can't really find out about them, how would you go about doing that?
2: So my rule of thumb is if I'm prospecting into an account and I can't find information on the person, my fallback is to do company stuff. If they're working in marketing, the cool part is their job is the most public job at the company, maybe besides HR, because they do recruiting and stuff. Yeah. Um, go look at their events. Usually you can go domain name, domain name, um, domain com slash events. You can find their events page and see what they're doing. Go look at their social and see what things they've put up out on the public. Um, visit their website, then go on Facebook or Instagram and see if you get retargeted with ads. Um, you literally can get put into their funnel and then watch what they're doing in the funnel. And collect insight, collect stories. Um, that's what you're doing when you're doing BDR and SDR work with these companies anyway. Um, mm-hmm. That's what I would do if I can't find any information. The most important, we talked about this before, um, but one of the things that I care about most as a marketer is thinking about, how did you find out about me? Because I, I could be putting videos out on LinkedIn every week. I could be uh, running webinars. I could be running display. I could be doing retargeting. I could be doing events. I want to know how you found out about me. Um, and that's invaluable to someone. Uh, that's that's something you could do if you're if you have an account. If you got something from a list like a Zoom info list, let's say I had a account name that I found on there, that might not be as useful to say like, oh, I got assigned to your account and that's why I know about it. But there's been studies that have shown that if a sales rep has a deep intimate knowledge about their target accounts, they're more likely to get an opportunity there.
1: Um, can I can I give a quick hack on that? Um, Ashley Richardson, too, kind of just said something here about the commenting and ad you find on YouTube. Um, a lot of people know this, but a lot of people really don't, is that on LinkedIn, if you go to the company page and then click posts, and then you can um, filter by just the ad, and it'll show oh, all the ads that they... Um, that's good. That they're, 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 yeah, you go through and just see all of it. Like, go on WeSpire right now and go on that and see what ads are running. Well, actually, we're not running any right now, but you can see the former ones where it's all, like, um, you know, DEI professionals, you can see the webinars that we ran. So you can go in there and say like, Hey Adam, I dug around in the ads and I noticed that, um, you know, your copy is missing this one thing. Right. And I have an AI platform that allows people to do that one thing at scale so that you don't have to worry about it. Like, Oh, okay, cool. And I think it's kind of cool that you dug around. Like to your point, I love the process. I love to hear like, oh, this person did X, Y, and Z to find me. And I'm like, all right, that poor person did some serious work. I need to talk, yeah, at least reply. Right. <laughs> yeah. I'll
2: I'll I'll give a I'll give a specific example, another one too. Um, I like the ringer, right? I follow I listen to Bill Simmons' podcast. I've been studying what they did from a media perspective for a little while. And I you could also just jump into Chat GPT and be like, hey, how did X company name get traction? Just put in that question and I'll spit back what <laughs> channels they used how they got popular. I did it for Brex the other day. Brex was famous. They had a huge, crazy billboard campaign that they did uh, to get traction. And now Brex is a household name in the credit card space in B2B. You can, If you're going after a company that's old enough, ask how they got traction. That can kind of give you an idea of what to go look for. And then you could do some Google searches for the thing that came up for a tactic and go look for it.
0: Awesome.
1: If anybody <laughs> was curious uh, if, if Ryan was lying and he was, lives in New Hampshire, Bill Simmons pretty much just gave it away. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> a little Um, So, since we're getting close on time, and I want to get to some of the Q and A questions, we are going to jump to our last section, which is about successful outreach. Um, so, a little bit more rapid fire. But if either of you or both of you could quickly share some sort of outreach that you got that really resonated with you, Adam, if you want to start.
1: Yeah, I actually got a pretty decent one this morning. Um, I'm not going to show this being said, and like ask this person if I could show it. Um, but now I want to now I need to find by. My- then again, because it got lost in the-
2: You want me to go first while you're looking for it? You go first, it went away. Okay. So (laughs) a couple of years ago, this is a true story. I was working at Lead IQ. I was at the Exeter Public Library in New Hampshire. Uh, I used to go work there because my air conditioning sucked at my house and the AC was awesome there. And sometimes I just needed silence. I got a cold call from this guy, Kenny, that worked at Vidyard. And funny, I swear to God, I didn't know there were going to be a sponsor but I was going to tell this story. Kenny obviously could have been sending me prospecting videos and emails and stuff, but like, you know, my job and my inbox were hectic and stuff. He cold called me and I was like, you know what? I'm going to answer. It's a Canadian number. I don't even know if I have Canadian international calling. I'll try it. So I ran outside of the library, went outside and talked to him on the ramp for 10 minutes. And by the way, there were bees there. I remember I was worried a bee was going to sting me the whole time. I was on the phone with him, but I was out there in 90 degree weather taking a call with him outside the library. And the reason I took a call with him is he said, Hey, Ryan, I saw that. Three years ago you did a campaign where you made music videos for prospects and i was wondering how did you track those videos how did you and i told him like this long convoluted story about how like i set up ga and unique link tracking and had people share it internally etc you guys don't need to hear this whole story and but he literally found a campaign of me doing something with video and cross cross intersected that with their value proposition and that was the lead in and it made me tell a story guess what most marketers do guys surprise we're storytellers that's what we love doing right even if you're a data person or a money person you like telling a story with that stuff and so they told me that story on the call and i was interesting, uh, interested interested and immediately lead iq was in a became an opportunity for them
0: love it adam
1: i have one that was way more simple which i think is something that you know some people really want to dig in, like, how can I get the volume out? So maybe a simplicity, uh, a very simple one is, is where on LinkedIn. Somebody just sent me a, a request and said, we built a platform to help you bring more website that visitors and the demo calls. Super simple, very obvious. If I have that problem right now, I'm going to accept that message and just at least say how, right? Because, you know, there's two types of any, really, from demand generation, you have demand generation and you have demand capture. That's a great message to capture that demand. Now you have to do that at a huge volume to find anybody because you're not going to convince anybody who doesn't already want that, right? With that kind of message. But if I'm looking for something to increase my conversion rate on, um, you know, on our on our website, it's like, okay, great. I that person just said exactly how they're going to change my day, right? So I think that's that was that was awesome. Simple, like high volume ability kind of uh, option there versus the the extreme personalization, which I think we've spent a lot of time talking about today.
2: Yeah. I want to. No, I-, I just want to piggyback one last thing that I was thinking of when you said that too. Another thing you can do to differentiate your outreach, every rep here has different unique backgrounds, different places that they've been, seen, lived, existed, experiences. Marketers are really extraordinary people. They're well, not to be an arrogant jerk, but we all are different. We have taste and unique things that we like. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, show that you're extraordinary in what you're doing with your outreach and you'll make the person stop and be like, oh, wow. Seth Godin calls it the purple cow. He's saying you're driving down a field, see all these white cows, and then you see a purple cow. What do you do? You stop, you take pictures with your phone, right? You want to be the purple cow when you reach out to these marketers. They respect the game. Sorry, I just wanted to piggyback off that. No, that's perfect. Um, i rather so been,
1: out- been like, hey, I want to use that. And I've even responded to people I'd be like, I'm gonna be using that thing <laughs> that you maybe because that's that was a really great email um however i don't need your product so that's not me but like thanks <laughs>
2: right. that no is valuable though because you just told that person yeah. they're not interested now they don't have to go do 20 or 30 follow-up steps with you for two months they can move on to a different account and come back to you in a quarter
1: yeah exactly yeah. Yep.
0: no that's awesome all right we have some rapid fire q and a because we're down to our last five minutes um uh, curious of each of you how many meetings have you taken from cold calls
2: ever yeah that's I mean, a hard like question
0: a, is it like a frequent <laughs> thing or is it like a like every so often do do people call you often
2: i don't want to get in trouble but i'm gonna get in trouble a little bit so i'll tell i'll tell you this prior to working on my own startup i i would answer many cold calls only when i was walking in the morning i did an hour walk every morning and i'd have my headphones in and if it rang i would answer it and i honestly it's because i got bored of listening to stuff while walking and sometimes i just wanted to do a call okay. ever since i started pitchfire i've again not trying to plug my own thing but um I send everybody to Pitchfire. So I'm building a place where you can literally pay the prospect to have them respond to you. Um, and mm-hmm. so I filter all of my pitches through that now, um, mm-hmm. mainly just to get the person on the platform to use it. So if anyone wants a response from me, you literally can buy it, just use my service. But um, that's that's how I'm doing it now. I, I have some data though. I will tell you this, the average cold call connect rate is less than 3% today. It's getting harder to do calls with people because we're being trained by the government and by PSAs and stuff not to answer phones that aren't saved on your phone. Um, so, I think what you can do is I think phone calls are used to promote the other tactics you're doing digitally. So, yeah. if I do a really cool email with somebody, if I send a Loom or a Vidyard or something like that, I might call them and be like, hey, I sent you the greatest video I've ever sent before. In my voicemail, I'll say that and be like, I saw, like, you haven't checked it out yet. I just sent you the greatest email ever. Go check it out hang up. I'm just using that to get the other thing that I did digitally to get more attention.
0: Nice. All right. Next one. Um, I think this might be maybe for you, Adam, how important are attributions for performance marketing and what KPIs matter most to performance marketers?
1: Yeah. So attribution is, it's a mixed bag, right? Because there's just no way to do a good job at it, right? Like you can't tell how many things, like everybody who's a marketer, and I don't know how many of the people here probably listen to uh, Chris, my God, who's his last name? The guy. Anyway, the, the people out there hate, hate performance marketing attribution because it's inherently flawed. Like, OK, that person just can on a social ad or a, a organic social. But if you look in, you know, in HubSpot, it tells me that that, that person searched for We Spire. It's like, OK, well, it made them search for WeSpire? And then, of course, they didn't write in why they heard about us because it takes an extra three seconds. Um, so you know, the attribution part is important if you can get enough information to make it clear like what part of the website or what part of the conversion funnel is is turning into meetings um, that, you know, on organic search, like I wouldn't, I don't really look at like our branded search terms to see how that converted because they figured that out some other way. I want to see how like, you know, these terms that we're spending hundreds of hours a month ranking on are, are doing when people search, they come in and they find us. So it works. It's good in some areas. I like to see attribution more um, when it comes to, or I guess maybe cohorting um the data by um uh so like company size title when they came in and things like that so i can focus my outreach to those titles who are converting further down the funnel
0: gotcha all right i have one last question um ryan how would you feel about getting something that's personalized specifically for you like a well-designed pdf or a gif does the format matter or is it just messaging
2: I think that if you do something that's different, that's not business related in the meat of whatever you're doing for personalization, whether it's a video, a PDF, whatever that stuff is, don't pitch in the corresponding thing that you're using to promote that. So if I send an email to someone and in my video, I pitch my company, don't talk about your company in the email. If you do something that's not about your company, talk about your company in the email and then add the personalized item. I'll give you a really quick example. When I was a BDR back in the day. I did this campaign where uh, my friend Brian had really long hair, and I called him in the middle of the haircut. And in the middle of his haircut, he had a mullet because he had his hair long for the wintertime. We ended up making a bunch of posters in the stack closet and emailing it out to people. And it was just funny catchphrases that were like personalized ads that you would make that we sent out to these people. We made posters and printed them out and sent them to them in the email that we wrote, we didn't talk. we talked about the company, and then the poster had just a cool slogan thing that's about them. Um, so, That's what I'd recommend for that. PDFs and stuff, I will tell you this. In the history of the world, I have never taken a meeting with someone because of a case study. I've never taken a meeting with somebody because of some white paper that you sent me. The reason I'll take a meeting with you is because you showed me a cool idea.
0: Gotcha. Well, thank you so much for that. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. Um, You can find us on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, on our website. Be sure to tune into more daily shows and let us know if you liked this new format. Adam and Ryan, thank you. You've been incredible. Um, I know people are dropping off now. Fifteen seconds, Adam. How do you feel about direct mail?
1: Uh I don't you know I don't think about it. So <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Go trade with crap on my hand, so
0: <laughs> amazing. Well, thank you so much, everybody, for joining. Thank you, Adam and Ryan. You've been incredible and I hope you all have a great week.
2: Thank you.